This is a Visual Audio Times production. Hello and welcome to Imole, your go-to mental health, wellness and spirituality podcast. I am your host, Pelumi. Thank you for hitting play on this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also, follow Imole on Instagram and Twitter at Imole the Pod. Before we start today's episode, I'd like for us to calm our nerves with a short meditation exercise. Follow the sound of my voice. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out slowly. On today's episode, we are once again talking about PTSD, but from a different perspective this time. So our guest has been a victim of kidnapping in Lagos. She suffered from intense PTSD symptoms after the incident, and she'll be sharing her story and recovery process with us. Her name is Aisha Salaudin. She's a multimedia storyteller based in Nigeria. She has worked in full-time and freelance journalism, using images, videos, audio, and text to report and investigate diverse human interest stories in Africa. She has covered thorny issues like alleged police brutality, sexual abuse, and surviving Boko Haram from multiple, for multiple international media organizations. She's currently a TV producer with CNN International, where she writes, directs, and produces some of CNN's out of Africa shows such as Inside Africa, African Voices, Changemakers, and Marketplace Africa. She's also the producer of I Like Girls, a narrative storytelling podcast documenting women and their life experiences. Aisha has reported in more than 20 African countries, including Nigeria, Botswana, Ghana, Namibia, Kenya, South Africa, and Egypt. In November 2020, she won the Future Awards Africa Prize in Journalism for her work covering the continent. And guess what, guys? She's also the producer of Imole. Can you imagine? I didn't even know she was this big old. Hey, welcome home, Aisha. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Thank you for <Salome>. me. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And she produces our show, guys. I'm so humbled right now. I had no idea. This is like, I knew she was big, but like, this is big, big. When she sent me a bio, I was like, what? <laughs> okay, welcome. I, I'm, not, I'm not big. You've blown. Stop. You have blown. Well, I'm happy to be here. wonder what it feels like to be the one being interviewed. I know, right? <laughs> well, okay, let's go into it. Tell us about the day of the incident. Like, what exactly happened from you know, just a detailed um, narrative. Yeah, okay. I mean, just let me know when to stop because I can go on and on. Like, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, fine. 
<laughs> so I, when I studied, um, all the, everything I studied in university was finance related. So I kind of thought the pathway for me was to do ACC and become a chartered accountant. So I was taking the professional exams to, for the UK, um, that was certified me as an accountant. So you can take that exam from Nigeria, right? Because they have centers. And that's what I was doing. And like I said, <laughs> when I talked to you earlier, it was in my ghetto days. Like I used to um, live with my parents in Ogba and I'll take the bus from Ogba to um, Ojota where the exams um, would take place. And I actually quite enjoyed the ride. I just would, I, I can't remember what paper it was that I was writing in It was an early morning paper. So this was around maybe 8 a.m. Honestly, I don't remember. And so, I mean, as usual, I got to... Um, got to the bus stop, uh, got in the bus. There's a direct bus from Ogba to Ojota, right? And so just normal, I slipped my um, earphones in because I'm not one of those people that when there's a few minutes to the exam, then I start reading now. Nah. Once I finished reading the nights before, that's all. Like, so I just had my headphones on. I will never forget, I was listening to Cardi B. Uh, what's that song go? I just blocked out a lot of things from my memory, so sorry if I don't remember, but I was listening to Cardi B and... I'm just one of those people that don't necessarily look up in the bus. You know, there are people that are staring out of the window and all sometimes. Nah, that's not me. It's like, because the direct bus day, I knew I'm going to get there. And so I stopped or I, when I started hearing interruptions of people screaming at the conductors and drivers. So apparently what happened is, uh, for those that know Lagos well, there's no way that you're going to Ojota and you're passing Mobolaji Bank, Anthony. It doesn't make any... Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Oh, wait, I'm the producer. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you're allowed to swear. That's the, that's a question. That's the question I normally will ask you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking when I curse, I'm just like, oh my yeah. God, I shall probably just be like, let's mute it. Now you are the one that wants, you know what, curse away. Curse. Don't swear. Swear with me. That's check me. I was like, wait, I'm the <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> so when you're passing Mobolaji Bank Anthony to go to a job, that's a catch. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's, so everyone was like, why are you guys you know, shouting at the conductors. And I looked up and I was confused. And they were like, oh, the bus has like a flat tire, something, something. And then everyone was kind of like, even if it has a flat tire, why are you going in a different direction? Like, you know, it wasn't making sense. And so that's when like, you know, I started to suspect this is very dodgy. And so what they did was they parked the car, I mean the bus and said, um, they've called another bus um, to come and drop us off. Because sometimes bus conductors do that thing. When they see another bus coming, they just... Um, hand them money and say, please, these people are going to Ojota. And so everyone was kind of, some people left because they were agitated and angry. And I was like, well, why am I rushing to? And I kind of just sat down back and uh, was waiting for the other bus or whatever to come. And so when the other bus came, we sort of moved in. Some of the guys from the previous bus moved in with us. I was sitting next to a pregnant woman and she also moved, um, you know, next to, with us the next bus. There was an older man who was in front uh, I remember him because he had tribal marks. It's so hard to forget. Um, and so, you know, we moved on to the next bus. And then as soon as the next bus started moving, the bus that we had now entered, you know, leaving them to fix whatever tire they claimed they were fixing. It was just weird because then it kept going straight towards Mobile Bank Anthony and turning towards Maryland. I'm like, well, we're going to Ojota, so I'm not understanding. And then everyone was kind of agitated as well. And usually, you know how Lagos is, sometimes the door to the bus is open, so you can literally just jump out. But the door to the bus, the conductor was holding it shut. And so I just, you know, stopped my Cardi B and I was like, okay, something is definitely dodgy here. 
And so I immediately sent my location on WhatsApp to my mom and my friends. I, I was just like, I don't know, to my friends, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but there's something weird happening here. Um, sent my location to my mom. And then, you know, next thing I know, these people just start, you know, when they are demeanor changes, like, okay, why are you guys shouting? Blah, 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 blah. And you know when you're saying this in Europe, it's like heightened, like, you know, shame. Like, oh, I was just like, okay. Oh God, what's going on? Please, I have exams this morning. I don't have time for this. And um, I remember that the pregnant woman next to me was getting, because I mean, she's pregnant. She's probably irritable. You get, you know, get what I mean? She was so annoyed and like, what the hell is going on here? And she was Igbo. So she was saying a few words in Igbo. I don't understand Igbo. So I suspect, I don't know, maybe they understood what she said. And then, so next thing, these people bring out guns in a moving um, bus and everything. And I was just like, yeah, okay. So I'm definitely not writing my exam. And I kind of just, and in that moment, because my Wait, mom saw that. Excuse me, you thought about your exam. <laughs> in that, are you kidding me? You saw guns <laughs> and you were like, oh, ACCA, am I not qualified? Like, are you kidding? It won paper. It's never like the whole ACCA. Oh, God. That just shows you're a Nigerian child because you're like, no, if I feel that this is an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I mean, that's really how I thought about it. And I just said, oh, yeah, forget about this exam. I know I should have been thinking, oh, I'm going to die, but it hadn't fully occurred to me yet at the time. I was still processing. And I think when I fully processed was when my mom started to call me because she saw that I sent the location. And she didn't really know what it meant, right? Because the message that I actually was, con it was, my message was cryptic. And so she started to call and so my phone was ringing out loud and my ringtone was Cardi B. And so these guys were annoyed, like, who is that one? Bring your phone. And then he collected everyone else's phone. So it was kind of like my fault there. Apologies to all of us, you know. Um, and you would know that it was well-planned because, so if you know buses in Lagos, well, they, sometimes they have an upper area that you can store stuff in. So they brought out like this bag and then asked everyone to put their phones in there. And that was also where they brought out the guns from. So it was probably planned. Like it was a job that they've probably done multiple times. And so they collected everybody's phones and they were holding guns in traffic. And in that moment, I wondered why nobody around was saying anything. But I sort of realized that this is Lagos. If, even as a driver now, if I see someone holding gun next to me in traffic, my first thought would be to hit my accelerator and not ask any questions. So I suspect that that's what everyone else was doing. And so we drove all the way down, all the way down to the island. Um, we passed Aja, passed Sangotedo. I have no... so. My knowledge of the island was very limited at the time because I was a mainland girl. And so once we passed Songotedo, I have no clue where the hell it was. And so we were driving for what seemed like three hours, but it passed very fast because I was terrified. I was now, I had now come to terms with the fact that I was probably going to die. And I just, you know, it's kind of like you're waiting to see what happens next. So in those moments, I wasn't really thinking much. And so when we got to a particular foresty location you know it's one of those parts of lagos that hasn't fully developed so there are new buildings lots of trees grass is not trees and all of that and so they sort of blindfolded us as soon as we got to some parts and said they're taking us somewhere but they don't want us to be sort of have a memory of the place so that's how i knew it was also well planned because they tossed it out like blindfolds they knew what the hell they were doing i'm sure they had done it multiple times and it was sort of like lined up we we're all lined up my thought was these people are probably human traffickers. They probably just want to, you know, traffic us for organs. Um, 
I had started getting, you know, I was working as a journalist as well at the time. So I really just had a lot of theories. Um, and then, I mean, we got to... I think you should actually do a film. I'm, I'm going to write a script about this. Hey, we'll talk about that later. Let's continue. I'm screaming. <laughs> um, I mean, we marched into this house and obviously I didn't know what it looks like because we're blindfolded. And then, you know, some houses have like this reception-like area first before you get into the main house. And they sort of put all of us there. We're about 14, if I remember correctly. And I remember the pregnant woman being so agitated. She was screaming. She was terrified. They kept on slapping her and hitting her with their guns because she was making so much noise. And I remember her saying to the driver, because the driver was quiet the entire time. He didn't even look back once. He just kept driving. And she was saying to the driver, she was like, why would you do this? Like, why are you doing this? You have been quiet the entire time. And look at what your guys were doing. So because she was provoking them, they kept slapping her. And I remember that. I was so annoyed at her because I was like, stop making noise. I need to think. I mean, in my head, I didn't say this out loud. So there was a lot of um, asking us to wait. Um, ask, oh, they, then they asked us, like, before we can go into the next room, wherever that is, they're like, oh, you have to take off all your clothes. And I was like, great, just great. Now random strangers are going to see my nakedness. And so we all, in fear, took off all our clothes. Again, they came with this basket that, you know, it was pre-planned, collected everybody's clothes. And in that moment, when you are terrified and in fear, you don't even realize that you are naked in front of other people. <laughs> it was much, much later that I thought about that bit. Anyway, um, I mean, so after that, it was just like watching people go in and not coming out. So I kept thinking, oh my God, are they killing them? What are they doing? And at this time, time had passed. I was supposed to be writing my exam at the time. Anyway, long story short, when it was my turn to go in, I went in and... It was just a blank. So you know like how when you just paint a room and there's nothing inside, right? So it was just a blank place. There was nothing excellent. There was a weird juju-looking man. And I say juju because it was the stereotypical juju thing that you see on TV where somebody has like a red cloth and has like um, a chalk on their body. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> Honestly, at that point, I was too terrified to think too much, like to remember or to analyze things rather. And I just kept thinking, oh, okay, I guess, because I was numb. I was, I even tried to say some prayers and I forgot. So all the prayers, cause I'm quite religious, right? But every freaking prayer that I knew in my life was not coming to my mouth cause I was so scared. And so this man says, welcome. And in my head, I'm like, <laughs> why are you telling me welcome? So I say, thank you, sir. And he's speaking Yoruba to me, by the way. So he's like, Kabo. And I'm like, Eshesa. And I'm just like, and he's like, oh, do you know why you're here? In my head, I'm like, why the fuck would I know why I'm here? I'm like, no, sir. And I mean, out loud. And he's like, um, he's going to, like, what's my name? And I say, oh, yeah, my name is Aisha. And he's like, oh, no, your name is not Aisha. Your name is Modupe. And so Modupe is my middle name. And I was like, sure. I was like, yes, sir. Cause like, I don't know what he was feeling like. So, you know, my middle name. Okay. Um, and he was just like, where are you from? I was like, uh, I'm from ocean state. So for context, my family, my dad's family, they're all in ocean state. He's like, Oh no, that he, he suspects I'm from the North central, maybe Joss or Niger state. I was like, sure. I'm from Joss. Um, so he was doing that thing where, um, he was being mysterious and doing the whole, I know about you more than you know about yourself. And I was so terrified, so I didn't really 
think about whether it's supernatural forces at play or perhaps it was the passport in my bag because I you have to show identification. I don't know about now, that time when you're writing ACCA. So I had my passport that had like details of where I was born, my middle name. So I suspect that that's where he was getting it from or perhaps it could be actual jazz. I don't know. Anyway, so I was just like, sure. And then he, you know, stares at me, stares at me for like two minutes straight, really staring at me. And I was so confused. I was like, is this the part where he brings out like a cutlass and like, you know, cuts me open? And I was so scared. And I kept like trying to pray internally, like, God, please. I just kept saying to myself, God, please help me. God, please help me. Um, and this man stops after what seemed like forever um, and told the two of the, con um, not two of the conductors, two of the boys that were in the bus with us that were in on it because there were four of them in on it, including the driver, and says, you know what? I don't think I want to use this girl in Yoruba. So he says, and I was just like, that's a good thing, right? And then he says, I'm going to leave you alone because you have a marker. And in that moment, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but I don't want to question it. I'm just going to take it and leave. And then he says, they should take me to one place like this. And I'm like, just, you know, throughout, I'm just saying. So now I'm saying, la ilaha illallah, which is like, just kind of saying that I believe in God. It's, it's just prayer for Muslim, summary. It's like the prayer that you say when you want to become a Muslim, kind of like, anyway, whatever. And so I'm just repeating la ilaha illallah internally, of course, because I don't know if I, if I say it out loud, you upset him or them. And so they take me to a room and say, I should wait. And I'm just like, okay. And after what seemed like forever, they bring like, a box that had my clothes and my phone. And I was just like, okay. So they didn't even take anything that belonged to us. My wallet was intact. Everything was inside. And I was just like, I'm not going to question it once again. I'm going to take it. And so it was me and some other girl that they had allowed to go for whatever reason. And so they put us in the car and sort of drove ahead. And so they pushed her out of the car first. I suspect they didn't want us to be together. And then they drove further a bit for me. And so imagine the car going at high speed, like 180, they open the door and they push you out. And I was just like, so I rolled to the corner of the road. And like I said, it was one of those, the expressways, like nobody's going to stop when they see someone that is looking crazy on the road. So I kind of just sat on the floor for a while because, so I was trying to, you know, get my phone to, to turn on my phone because obviously they're turned off our phones. And I was so terrified that my hands were shaking and my phone kept failing, failing English, falling out of my hands. So I would pick it up into fall. I'll pick it up like it was, this continued to happen. So I just, you know, laid down on the road for a bit and just relaxed and calmed down and sat down on the floor. And when I felt a bit better, I picked up my phone. My God, when I turned on my phone, I had so many fucking messages. So many messages. My friends were like, where are you? The friends at the ACC center. Because this was now like what time? This was like 8 p.m. And I, mind you, I left my house at what? 7 a.m. So my friend who was supposed to meet me at the center had called my mom like, oh, is she on her way? My mom was like, she had sent me her location. My friends were worried because I sent them location. I said, I don't know what's going on. My dad had apparently escalated everything. My dad had called Uber, um, had gone to the bus station at Ogba with police officers to fight. They had called the commissioner of police, everything. So everybody didn't realize that 
the way they were reacting and calling me and sending me messages was overwhelming. So I was very, very annoyed because I was, I, at the time, I didn't know that I was having a panic attack. So here I am having a panic attack and you're escalating things. So I just sat down for long on the road. And when I felt strong enough, I got up and just started walking because I didn't know where I was going. And the funniest part was there was no Uber coming to that area at that time of the night. So I had to enter another bus to get to middle of town. So I was in another bus and I was just terrified. The conductor, because you know conductors are always shouting in Lagos. So when he wants to talk to me, he will shout. And then I would like, you know, I would be scared and I would like get up and he would be like, ah, wait till they worry this one. So I was so, my God, I was so, so terrified. Anyway, I remember, I don't remember how, but I remember that I got to Surilere. Uh, oh, like sorry, bus stop to be precise. My boyfriend at the time was doing a trip around Nigeria. So he wasn't even around. And so I remember I got to Ojoa Legba and I was just like trying to get an Uber so that I would go home because I didn't want to enter on that bus and they kept canceling and canceling. So I called my mom and I said, hey, this is what has happened. I summarized it for her. I'm in Surulere right now. Don't come and get me because my mom is very dramatic. She tends to, she tends to do erratic things when she's scared. I hope erratic is the right word. So I said, I will find my way home. I promise I will turn on my live location. You can stay on the phone with me because I knew she was, I was worried about her state of mind. If she was, she drove to get me, she would probably be speeding, have an accident. So I said, you know what? I will come home. I promise. Tell daddy I am safe. And so because my dad had called the police, they started calling me to ask me stupid questions. And I was like, this is not how to interrogate someone. Cause they were calling like, okay, so who kidnapped you? I'm like, I don't know. What did they look like? I don't know. Where did they take you? I don't know. Like, what do you know? I don't know. So I'm like, you're not helping me. You can't be asking me where they, they blindfolded me. I don't know. So they kept making things worse. And I didn't want to talk to the police because they had been irritating. Um, anyway, long story short, chat. I got home, entered another bus, got to Ogba, then got an Uber from Ogba back to my house. And when I got home, there were police officers in our house. And I just told my dad, I don't want to talk to the police because they're not helping me. They are like triggering me. Because they kept asking me, okay, what were you doing? And eh, how come you didn't see them? Okay, did you shout? I'm like, you guys are not helping. Anyway, I thought I was fine because I genuinely felt fine. All I felt at the moment was anger because I was angry at everyone that was, because it felt like they were blaming me. Okay, why did you enter bus? There was in the police officer that was saying, hey, should be your parents have money? And why do you not enter bus? I'm like, this is not the right time to say these things. I just got kidnapped. They released me for whatever reason. Maybe save your judgment for another day. So it was just a lot of me not wanting to talk to the police. And so because I refused to talk to the police, I refused to write a statement. I mean, I eventually did. My dad had to obviously like, pay them and tell them to go back or whatever. I don't know what, I don't care. I didn't ask. I could not sleep that night. I thought I was fine until I woke up at like 12 a.m. Because I slept in my mom's room. She wouldn't even let me sleep alone. She was very terrified. Um, I couldn't sleep. So I was just texting my best friend throughout the night. Because my boyfriend, like I said, was on a trip. He was unavailable. I don't think I even told him till like the following week because I knew that he would cut his trip short. Like he would want to come back to Lagos. And I didn't want that because he had been planning the trip for such a long time. And it was for work as well. So I felt bad and I just didn't tell him. Anyway, I think that was the 
short version of the story. I feel like I'm, I'm talking too much. I'm tired. Um, first of all, I was really, really enjoying that. And I was playing the whole film in my head. So secondly, wow, what you said about your mom, God, mothers, men, shout out to all mothers out there, because of course she was going to, she's dramatic. I mean, she's an African mom, first of all, but Asia, you'll be dramatic in that situation. Let's just be honest, you will be. And I'm so happy because when you told me about this story, like over the phone, like you can interview me for this. I just got kidnapped, blah, blah. And you were just laughing about it. And I'm thinking you could have died. Like you were this close to death. That's, that is not easy. Like that is not something that anyone can just shake off. Because a lot, I've survived tough incidents. So I survived a bomb blast, right? And this was, um, was I, I think I've said it on a podcast. This was the Keja Cantonment one. And I was actually yeah. living in the cantonment. So we just escaped that, like nearly, you know what I mean? But even then that was not as... That was close to death. It was not as close as this, you know? So it's like, how were you able to deal with it? You know? Okay, so you said that you could not sleep that night. What other PTSD symptoms did you notice? Let's start with that. What other PTSD symptoms did you notice? And when did they start? Pretty much immediately, although I didn't realize it was PTSD then. So... I couldn't sleep that night, but my friends were sort of good company, especially my best friend. Shout out to him. Because I, I, I would call him like random moments to just say, I can't sleep. Um, and just, he would just talk to me. Um, he would just keep me company, try to make me feel safe. He would say, you're home, nobody can harm you. I could even write my other papers. So it was more, and then I was getting startled for the most random things. If... If I tried to open the door and it creaked, I would be scared. I would start imagining like someone's at my back, someone's going to come and get me. I was, so I was very quick to fear. So I couldn't, I couldn't even go out for a long time because if I go out and I see a boss, I would start having panic attacks. I don't think I knew there were panic attacks at that time, but I would literally start having panic attacks and thinking like, okay, maybe someone's going to kidnap me. I couldn't enter a bus for the longest time. I was so scared of the most random thing. My mom, and my mom is a typical Nigerian mom. She would shout my name from up there, Aisha, and I would be so scared. I'm like, who's calling me? And then I, I used to be okay with like, you know when you send people money and they say that your middle name is Modupe? I used to be very okay with it. But now if anyone calls me Modupe, I would be triggered. Like, please don't call me Modupe. Like, this man was literally for me. He knows my middle name. Like, I, like people don't get it because they're like, ah, but that's your name. I'm like, please. So it's, there's just some random things that I would just be scared of. I, I had nightmares for like a year straight. I'd wake up in the night screaming. I wouldn't even realize I was screaming. My mom would be the one to say you were screaming at night. Um, and I used to dream that um, that man was out to get me. And I was just, so I was barely sleeping right. I was actually actively taking um, coffee or anything that would make me stay awake. Because when I sleep, I dream. It was just such a, it was a really hard time. And it triggered like, I think past memories that I had that I didn't even remember. Because I mean, anyone that grew up in just knows that there are a lot, of, a lot of riots. So it started making me remember very vividly all the riots that we survived before moving to Lagos. So it was like combined PTSD. And I was like, what the hell is this? Um, I remember just texting my boss because I used to work at Stairs Business then. So I texted my boss and I said, look, Preston, I'm sorry, but this happened to me. 
And can you just give me one week and I will be better, I promise. And he said, okay, um, take one week. Actually, I don't think I told him what happened. I just said I need one week. Um, so, and he said, that's fine. Take one week and come back when you feel okay. So I couldn't enter the buses when I was going to work out. Just my dad worked on the island and my, the office was on the island. And, but he left like, he left home super early. I, I didn't mind. So I used to wake up at like 6, 5.30 a.m. because I wanted to, my dad to drive me to work. I did not want to enter a bus. I didn't even want to see a bus. So it was just a lot of being scared of things, a lot of panic attacks, a lot of nightmares, a lot of bugging my friends. And my friends, man, I'm grateful for them because for like a whole year straight, I was, they would invite me out. Like, oh, let's go to ICM and watch a movie. I'm like, I'm not coming. So like my social life, it's not like I was a social butterfly or anything, but you know, in friendships, hanging out with your friends, making time is very important. But they would invite me out. I'm like, I'm not coming. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I would just be like, I'm not coming. So I was missing out on a lot of things with my friends. Um, they would have, go to the beach, lunch. I just, like, you know, when they say I was unable to come, that's just what it was. So like, shout out to them for like, it's really hard putting up with someone that does that for a year. And that was how long I was doing that. So, yeah, I think that's, that's what I noticed. Or those are the things I noticed. Wow, girl. <laughs> All I can say is, wow. Because, first of all, my name is Modukwe as well. I should, this is not the time oh. to say that. <laughs> it's not the time to say that, but I just thought it to be funny just to add that in. <laughs> My name is Modupe as well, but you went on with it for a whole year, like all these PTSD symptoms. So first of all, I'm going to add, like, didn't anyone tell you to go to therapy? Why did you go to therapy? Let's start with that. Did, did you go? Um, my parents are really traditional. They knew I needed help, but what they thought was spending time with me, telling me or letting me know that they were there for me. Um, offering protection, driving me out, all those kind of small things. But they never mentioned therapy. They kind of just helped in the best way that they thought they could. My boyfriend, when I told him like a week after, I was like, what the fuck? You need to go to therapy. My best friend kept insisting that I also needed to go to therapy. And so I was like, you know what? I will go to therapy so that you all can shut up. Um, and... I went to uh, the general hospital in Lagos Island. Or was it your Balindi? I don't remember. And I don't, oh yeah, yeah, no, I remember now, sorry. I, I booked, I told a friend of mine, um, Hawa Ojaifo, she's the founder of She Writes Woman. It's a mental health organization. And I said, Hawa, I'm having nightmares. I'm, I just told her what was going on. And she said, I will link you up with a psychiatrist on the island, Lagos Island, the general hospital, please go there and please talk to her. And so I went there one day in the middle of work. I told my boss, Preston, I said, this is what's happening. So I actually came clean and he was like, what, why are you here? Go to therapy. So I went there, I spoke to the woman. I didn't even realize how bad it was until I started crying when I was telling her, you know that thing where you think you're fine and somebody says, how are you? And you just start crying. I was just crying. And this woman listened to me. She had an assistant as well. I remember I was this Muslim woman with the long hijab. She had an assistant that just kept saying, um, thank you for coming. And then we talked for a bit. She said she would need me to come to therapy a lot. 
and I'm like, you know, kind of weekly, and I was just looking at this. Like, and it wasn't expensive because it was a general hospital. And because Hawa had linked me up, she writes women's services are mostly free or, um, I don't know about now, sorry, by the way. So this was, I think, 2018 or 2017. So it was, I was going to get it at a subsidized rate. But I just wasn't warming up to therapy because it felt like I was naked in the sense that I was exposing how I felt and I was still struggling with that. So I went the first time. I mean, after that first time, I went again the following week. We talked. I did a bunch of extensive tests. She asked me so many questions. And she said, I don't think this is just PTSD. I think you have something that we call mixed anxiety depressive disorder. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And she explains that it's basically patients who have both anxiety and depressive symptoms. And that both of those symptoms are kind of like with equal intensity. So not one isn't the depressive symptoms or the depression is not as much, it's not more than the anxiety and vice versa. And she kind of just talked about how my panic attacks, my distress and all of that um, could be a cause of the mixed anxiety depressive disorder. Now, I'd never heard of it. Like, and I was a journalist who covered mental health quite a lot. And she sort of just explained that it's kind of one of those diagnoses that I had to make, that it's hard to make, but it's also relatively new. And I said, what do I, do I need meds? She's like, she just thinks I need therapy. Let's start with that first. I went the second time. And after that, I just got to, I felt like I was talking too much about my personal life to a stranger. And I was very rigid then. I'm much, much better now. I'm much, so much better. I talk so much now, my God. Um, so after the second time, I didn't go anymore. And I know this is probably ridiculous to say, but I actually felt better those two times that I talked to her because I realized that what I needed was just to tell someone honestly and be honest about how I felt. And there were so many repressed things, even from like expressing the riots in just that I didn't even know. And I just, was just talking about it and talking about it. And at, at some point I was like, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I'm tired. So therapy was just two times, which I would like to say for anyone listening, like, please don't do that. Please go to actual therapy because I paid for it like much later in the future, like not going to therapy. Please go to therapy and stay. I promise it's helpful. Anyway, um, so yeah, that happened. And everyone around me kind of just helped in the best way they could. My parents were super supportive. I'm so grateful for them. They didn't like do the whole, by the way, I didn't tell them about the diagnosis. Um, but they didn't do the whole, so because you were a kid, you know, some Nigerian parents are kind of like, they don't, mental health, the way that we perceive it is judgy and, oh, like, no, you are not depressed, you are just sad. They didn't do that. They just let me know that they were there for me and never questioned when I would have panic attacks or when I would jump up at the slightest mention of my name. They just, man, I'm so grateful for them. They just were there. They were present. So, Yeah. Well, that's very good. Having supportive parents is definitely a blessing. And um, with what you said about <laughs> doing therapy just twice, please, everybody, go and stay. But I even want to ask, how long after the incident did you go to therapy? Was it, I'm, it sounds like it was a few weeks, right? Um, no, it was like four months. So when I wow, realized so you that... you waited. Yeah, when I realized that the, it wasn't going... So here's the thing, like... I've experienced a lot of traumatic things, right? Even as a child, like I said, with the riots in Jaws, we were almost killed. We were almost burnt alive. So I kind of thought, I was like, ah, well, I've experienced worse than this now. And I was, I'm fine. So I thought I was fine. So I'm like, I'm fine. So I was treating it as, 
It's just kidnapping compared to everything else that I've experienced. Like, this is the barest minimum. Like, this is the smallest thing. So I was treating it as it's nothing. I didn't realize that this was what was going to trigger everything else that I had experienced. I was probably bottled away. So I was forming, oh, it's fine. I'm good. I'll just talk to my friends. I'll just be at home. But after, like, it hits me and persistence of my friends, of course, and my boyfriend, they kept saying, go to therapy. It really hits me when I had one massive panic attack. And the panic attack lasted for so long that I thought I was going to die. I could literally hear my heart beating. And I was like, okay, maybe it's time to go to therapy. So, like, within that fourth month, I messaged my friend. I said, please, I need help. And that was sort of when I when I went um, for it. I think what was worrying me then is really this stereotypical Nigerian thing where you're like, no only you, like, you're not the first, you'll be fine, it's not that deep, which in hindsight was just a bad idea. I should have just gone and stayed in therapy and, like, healed. Maybe by now I'd have healed fully, you know? But, yeah, I think that's the, that answers your question. So this was in 2018, like you said, right? Yeah, or 27. One of the two. I think it was 2018. 2018. Yeah. So, like you said, you said something about um, no, be only you. That's what people call toxic positivity, and it's very, very normal. Like even as a child experiencing bomb blast, so many things happened to people. So many people lost their lives. So it was kind of like, oh, at least you are grateful you are alive and you saw your family on time. And we all thought that yes, we are grateful we are alive and we were. And that is good advice, right? Be grateful for what you have. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we should sweep things under the carpet. So this is not the only you thing. Yeah, so a lot of people have been through traumatic incidents, but it doesn't mean that they don't need help because all these things come out in other ways. You may think, okay, yeah, this person is fine. They went through a kidnapping, but they, they are normal. And then they just start having like outbursts, maybe a year later or two years later or they just can't seem to open up about their feelings. Like you said, speaking about your feelings and talking about it to your therapist made you feel like you could open up. And I'm sure this also made it easier to open up to your friends and family. So it's just us bottling those feelings in. And a lot of people also deal with shame when they experience situations like this. And I know it doesn't make sense to the average person, like, why would I be dealing with shame? But trust me, there are so many people who talk about dealing with shame, even when they are when they experience like kidnapping or rape or molestation. And I know obviously sexual abuse is different, in, but at the same time, it's kind of like telling people you were kidnapped. They look at you like, what? what? You know what I mean? In this society and a lot of people will blow things out of proportion. So you said maybe you would have healed faster if you had stayed in therapy. Do you still have PTSD symptoms now? Um, I mean... Probably. First off, I am. I can't remember last time I entered a bus. Like, fuck that. I went and bought a car. <laughs> I was like, nope. So 2019, I got my car. I was like, I'm not in this shit. And then, um, I don't think I have. I think I'm much better. Except like when I see a downfall, I'm just like, oh, this. So I'm not having panic attacks. I'm just like, oh, remembering like this, this shit. I might still have. Like I said, I didn't walk through it in therapy. So I suspect that I might still have like stuff that needs to be addressed in therapy but compared to like 2018 I promise you I'm so much better like I don't get startled when people call my name I don't have panic attacks I'm not like worried about um what's it called 
I'm not worried about anybody coming to kidnap me. The one thing that I, I didn't even notice, but the one thing that I know that I do now, which sort of makes me realize that I need to heal completely is my husband says, so one day he, was, he just said to me, he said, do you know that you always lock the door, even if you're going to be gone for just two minutes? And I'm like, I didn't realize. And when he locks the door, I go back to lock it again. Because I'm, and then he's like, why do you do that? I'm like, oh, like, I'm just worried that someone will come and kidnap me. And I say it unconsciously, or I, I said it unconsciously, but apparently he sort of brought it to my attention. Like, you say it all the time. Like, you haven't fully, he made me realize, it's like, you haven't fully healed from that experience. So when I'm not home and I say, and I travel a lot for my work, and I say, please, I text him, I'm like, when you're going out, please lock the door. And then I message him, like, have you locked the door? And he's like, did you lock the door? And he's like, I've locked it. Stop asking me. So I'm constantly thinking of safety. Um, and it might be that I'm just projecting. Maybe it's just the whole living in Lagos thing that like, you just don't want people. Same thing with my car. So when he drives my car, I'm like, did you lock the door? Have you locked? So, and sometimes that can be annoying, right? It causes friction between us. But it's just, I'm so worried. Or like when my assistant says, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming over now. I'm entering bus. I will literally say, no, enter Uber and I'll pay for it. It's because... I'm just always thinking about kidnapping, kidnapping. So I know that <laughs> that's the bad side. The good side is I'm much better than before. But I know that I need some, like I need to work through some other things. I don't know how PTSD really works, except what I listened to from Fize, um, the episode with you and Fize. But I know that I need time and I need to go back and fully heal. So yeah. Okay, so what other coping mechanisms helped you? Because you are, even though you still have some um, symptoms now, you're in a much better place, like you said. So therapy was only two sessions. What, and your family and friends were supportive, which is good. But did you have any other coping mechanisms? Like, was it your spirituality or what was it? Um, beyond, like, the support, because my friends were freaking supportive. I think it was, I did things that made me feel safer. So I bought a car because I didn't want to have to enter downfall. I rode with my friends. I drove myself. I locked my car constantly. I locked the doors. Those might kind of be unhealthy, I suppose, but they made me feel better and they were helpful coping mechanisms for me. I also, um, I think I, I also just constantly, it made me closer to God because like it's this thing where when you are in fear, that's when God comes to your mind because you need something to hold on to. You need that hope, that faith. And so, um, I think I just sort of leaned on like religion a bit, like God, because what it did for me was it triggered all my other traumatic memories. And I'm like, I've been protected multiple times. And I'm like, maybe there's something here with like getting closer to God. So those were like sort of my coping mechanisms. And I think I constantly just um, journaled and journaling in the sense because journaling can be negative because you read it and remember stuff you don't want to remember but it helped me like sort of take notes like I was worried like okay let me think of the best way to explain it so I write down how I'm feeling like I feel like I'm going to get kidnapped and the next day I'll update to this is like I didn't get kidnapped it was just in my head so because I was going back to my journal to read constant updates monthly updates saying like what I was afraid of was not really a fear it was just a projection because of how I felt. It sort of created a pattern for me that every time that I've been scared and doing this thing, nothing has happened. Like, so it made me feel safer because I had like data. <laughs> um, so I'm very analytical. I had data for all the times I felt a certain way and nothing happened. 
So that was like a really helpful coping mechanism. So sometimes when I feel like, oh God, so I'm going to get kidnapped. I go back to the data, I'm like, you thought you were going to get kidnapped like 50 other times and nothing happened, calm down. So I started to tell myself like, it's a once in a blue moon type of thing. And so that also helped me to cope. That's good. I've heard a lot of people who have maybe survived terrible accidents or um, plane crashes also say that, like, what are the odds that it will happen again? And just helps them, you know, psych themselves out of always thinking something bad is going to happen. So will you consider going back to therapy? Like, will you consider um, getting therapy again? Because like you said, even some things from your childhood and just were suppressed. So are you thinking that maybe you could also be suppressing some more things, even about this incident. Yeah, yeah. I, so here's the thing. I know that that's definitely happening. I just, and I'm telling myself that I just don't have time for therapy yet um, because, my goodness, I'm literally always traveling, right? Tomorrow I'm going to be in a worry, and then on Wednesday I'm going to be in a career. So I don't have um, the time but I know that I have to make time for therapy somehow. It just, I guess just being on the move is also helpful because I'm not thinking about it. But sure, yes, I'm going to go back to therapy to answer your question. Well, I will suggest online therapy. Like my own therapist is online and it's one hour session. So even as long as you have good internet, which I'm sure you do as a journalist that's moving around, so you have to have good internet. So as long as you have that good internet connection, and you know your phone and headphones and all you can have a session at any time and it's basically a 24-hour service i don't want to like put the name on this podcast because obviously that would be they've not paid us <laughs> to promote them yet but yeah. i will tell you i'll put you in touch with maybe some people that you can use i just want Is to say that it's always yeah yeah she's nigerian okay. it's a nigerian okay. service i even know i know more than one and they are all nigerian and um, thank you for thank sharing you. your story and being vulnerable with us, Aisha. I'm very grateful for thank this. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Yeah. So any final words for anyone who has experienced something similar and is currently dealing with the PTSD symptoms? I think what I would say is the importance of a support system. Um, I know that when some people have PTSD, it's hard to explain how they feel. Um, but the, when you get a chance to do so, please talk to your friends, talk to your family. It's important to pass through that process. So let yourself feel everything you are feeling, because if you don't feel it, you're suppressing, and that's going to come back to bite you much later. So as you're feeling those emotions, talk to people, have that support system, let your friends be there for you, let your family be there for you. It's super important. And finally, please go to therapy please, I beg you, go to therapy. Yeah. Thanks once again, Aisha. And if you have experienced this and you also, something similar, and you also like to share your stories with us, please send us an email or reach out to us on social media. Thank you. Yes, please. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imole. Please make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your episodes. You can also send me emails 
about today's episode or anything related to mental health and spirituality through fanmail at imolethepod.com. Finally, please subscribe to the Imole newsletter to learn more about our episodes through the link in the episode notes. Thank you and see you on the next episode. This episode was produced by Aisha Salaudin, audio mixed by Lord Phil, and is distributed by Visual Audio Times. For more podcasts, visit visualaudiotimes.com.